So, Godfrey, I'm going to start this with a question. This is, what, our 12th episode? Sounds right. Okay, sure. Um, we still have a long way to go before I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to these in Roman numerals on uh, SoundCloud. It's still a while before I have to worry about, you know, crap, how do you, what is 48? But um, Just Google the Super Bowl. Yeah, granted. Um, although, in theory, you know, a couple of years from now, we'll have well surpassed the Super Bowl with this uh, all-star podcast. Okay, so um, are you a blocker or a muter? Mm. I'm a muter now. I used to be a blocker. I think muting's the way to go. I started, first of all, um, I, I have a natural, in, uh, you know, built-in fear of confrontation, and, and, you know, blocking means they can see you've blocked them. But... I started thinking about it yesterday when suddenly I had to ponder the thought of blocking or, or muting a lot more people um, after the Missouri piece came out. I, um, I started thinking about it, and, and while this is pure rationalization on my part, I, I, I think muting might be more satisfying because blocking, they can get some sort of satisfaction out of, you know, I spoke the truth to them. I, they couldn't handle it, so they had to block me or whatever. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, I, I don't have your fear of confrontation. In fact, I relish it on, on uh, a certain level. Um, but I would advise for anybody who's frustrated on social media who doesn't have to be there, uh, if you don't have to be there, don't don't be there for a minute, and that's okay. Um, and also, don't view your Twitter po- your Twitter profile or your Facebook profile or whatever as an extension of your um, your philosophical being or your or your your don't think of it as a representation of yourself. And, that, and I'm not telling you not to give your opinion or write whatever you want. What I'm saying is, don't feel like stepping away for a little while is going to somehow be a detriment. It's not. It's going to uh, almost always uh, give you a nice dose of just relief or sanity, whatever you want to call it. Um, Plus it just, I, I, I'm all about muting, though, because they have no idea that they're screaming into the void. Yeah, it sucks the oxygen out of the room. It's really satisfying, and, and they can they can thro- fling whatever poop they want to fling at you, and you're just sitting on your sofa in your nice warm house, and you don't have to you don't acknowledge it at all, and that has to drive them twice as crazy as muting. That's what I or as blocking. That's what I say. How many um, how many people do you think you've muted in the last seventy two hours? Oh, really? Just the last twenty four? I was able to stay kind of. Um, not hidden, but I, I wasn't putting a lot of content, out, a ton of content out there, at least for my personal account, uh, until yesterday's Missouri piece. But uh, double digits, probably. I mean, it's still, I, I'm still pretty, you know, I, I, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to the, the I don't want to hear you or whatever. But um, yeah, it's still, there was a, a nice little surge yesterday morning when, it, when uh, the, the conversation about Missouri began, and I guess that's how we'll begin today's conversation. Um, <laughs> so the Missouri football team just got the president of the, the university fired, well, to resign. And that feels like a pretty big deal. Um, we obviously don't know. We, it's amazing the amount of precedent this whole situation doesn't have. Um, and, and so we're just taking massive wild guesses at this point. But it does feel like that, you know, from a from a college football universe standpoint, I can obviously talk about what it means for Missouri, but from a overall NCAA universe standpoint, 
this feels like a very big deal because something that wasn't even that well organized. I mean, it was just like one player's idea and he brought it to another player. And then a day later they were threatening to boycott a football game. Um, this wasn't like Northwestern unionization or something, but it kind of feels like this was proof of the power a, a, a group of student athletes like this can have. And, you know, Missouri's only four and five. And it's, you know, even though Missouri's done really well of late over the last decade, it's still Missouri. It's not a, a name. It's not Alabama or something. So it kind of feels like that could be a big deal. Um, I think it's, I think everything about this is a big deal. It's a cliche thing to say, but it's, um, there's different levels in which to approach this. Um, one, let me just start off and try and interject a little bit of levity in that as a, a graduate of Ole Miss, I'm shocked that we're having this conversation about your alma mater and online. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't, first, by the way, first or second Monday in November, and the two biggest stories were Missouri and Illinois. Yeah, I, I, and I don't mean that to disparage Ole Miss. It's just that I have an, a, a lot of experience with this. I have a lot of experience with mascot <laughs> removals and protests and, uh, and the Klan coming to campus. And then also... I have a lot of experience with people that grow increasingly frustrated with a movement like this, even, even, and maybe even especially the ones who agree with a movement or an action, whatever you want to call this, that are also frustrated that the name of their institution is sort of being drug along behind it. Um, and that's, that's where the layering of the problem gets in. And, and so, um, you know, since, since you wrote your piece that went up on Monday, You've talked to some ex-players, and I've talked to some ex-players, and um, I'll be headed to Arrowhead this weekend to talk to more people. Um, it's uh, it's really hard to try and put a summary on anything other than than the really the hardest facts in this situation, and because there are so many different opinions, and it's it's what you would encounter with any kind of problem with the univ- a university is a family, not in the way that like the Auburn sports marketing department calls it a family. It's that you have so many vastly different perspectives from people who are so closely tied together for this short, intense period of their lives. And then a lot of those people as alumni choose to romanticize and and maintain that period of their life throughout the rest of their days. And and, and they go to football games and they, they wear shirts with their school names on them. And it, it becomes something much more, than a place where you served a couple of years and you, and you studied. And so the perspectives skew in all different directions. And so the thing I've had a hard time with with this story um, is not the racial dynamic at play. And it's not the it's, – it's really not the news part of it. It's, it's where, where I kind of sit and think, what do you, where, where do you go from here and and where where do people where does the Mizzou community go from here? And I'm not talking about the, the journalists mainly. I'm talking about just your average Missouri Tiger fan because um, I've been there. I've seen this. I've seen it happen a lot, and you know, I've seen it happen in a university where I still have frustrations with um, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, so I, I guess I think I would just bounce it back to you. Has any of this? From from before last week, because I, I think you you were aware of some of these incidents. You you live in, in in the Columbia area. You were you were aware of some of this happening before last. This wasn't news to you on Sunday, correct? No, no, yeah, no, not at all. Okay, so from from the time that you you've seen uh, 
the problems occur through what's happened this week. Has has your overall view or passion towards or affiliation with Missouri changed at all? No, I mean, I you know, I started my freshman year here about 18 years ago. And, um, you know, it, you're obviously going to, if you're willing to understand it, you're obviously going to come to the understanding that random stupid race things will pop up. Um, you know, like I've always said about Missouri, nobody can ever hate Missouri as much as it hates itself. You know, you've got rural and urban, north and south, uh, Midwest and Southeast, if we want to break that out further, um, white and black, rich and poor, et cetera. There's, there are all of these things that a lot of them are anywhere in, in any college campus, but, you know, I think uh, there's maybe more, more potential tension here. Um, and, and then when you add to that the fact that it is still relatively progressive and, and you know, progressive enough to elect, uh, elect a uh, black and gay student body president, that does remind you that, you know, we're not dealing with some majority issue here. Um, you know, maybe that progress has helped to drive the idiots into making dumb decisions more frequently. Uh, because, I mean, while there were random incidents throughout the past, I mentioned in the piece, you know, a cotton ball incident, cotton balls, you know, littered throughout the black culture center, because, you know, real creative on that one. Um you know, those things would randomly happen. And then over these last two months, a lot of things have happened. And, and part of that is people sharing their stories that we didn't know about. Um, but it's always been there. And, uh, you know, I, I think the lack of coverage that it received, it was certainly in the local papers. But if you like, if you went to Hy-Vee, uh, you know, to go, for, to go grocery shopping, you don't overhear anybody talking about concerned student 1950 before Saturday night. Um, the, that, the fact that the football team got involved surprised the hell out of me, um, you know, in part because this, it just happened. There were no rumbles or anything like that. Nobody had said anything. It was, you know, Jamon Moore visiting the, hung, the student who's on, going on the hunger, hunger strike and talking to some other player and then them talking to some and then them going to coach and then suddenly it happens. Um, go, taking it to that level certainly surprised me. There's no way you can prepare for that, but it certainly hit fast forward or, or you know, it, it, it certainly upped the ante a lot and brought these things to the surface where nobody could any longer ignore them. And, you know, it, it, brought, it brought every Mizzou grad journalist in the country back to Columbia, which is kind of fun, too. There's a media element to this with the, some of the, the way that was handled and, and the extra focus that Missouri gets because it breeds probably the most national journalists of, I think, any institution in the u.s maybe northwestern maybe syracuse syracuse probably more in broadcast uh but uh it was uh i don't know i don't know if i want to jump into that on this podcast i i, I don't we we relish the deep dive here but um not necessarily into all things journalism or, or as i like to call them journalism um to imply the messy hodgepodge and gumbo that is whatever we call the mass media now um I kind of latched onto that more on Monday night just yeah. because that's what I do for a living. Um, and I've, I've been there before and been screamed at and you know, it sucks. Um, that's an extra layer to this just because of Missouri's reputation in journalism and, and the actions of some of the people on the faculty and, and the way the protest was conceived and handled. It's, 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 I guarantee you it will be studied and debated on and picked apart in, in journalism schools for a long, long time. Okay. But I don't know if that's the, that's, that's, uh, I, I definitely know that's not the issue at the front of this. Um, the issue at the end of this is, it, at least in our world, 
um, is that there's a football game Saturday. Yep. And more so than, I guess, even what we thought on leaving Missouri's loss to Mississippi State on Thursday night. By the way, I mean, you know, before all this happened, I was just going to get on this week's podcast and make fun of you for standing in the rain. My shoes are still a little damp, the one that I have, I have them in the garage. Uh, now, instead, we, we, we trudge through the, some of the most serious issues life can offer, and then uh, we look at this game in Kansas City at a neutral site. Um, a, B, a, a good BYU team, a, a, a terrible Missouri offense, and a cloud or a pall or, or a distraction or um, – Maybe an inspiration, who knows, hanging over the football game. So uh, it will, uh, like I said earlier, I'll, I'll be headed up there. I have no idea what to expect. I've been to a lot of weird football games. I've been to a lot of weird football environments, but this one may take the cake. Um, yeah, if I sound hesitant about this, it's one, because I want to defer to my co-host, who's an alumnus who lives in the area um, and has a much better handle on it. And two, it's because I, I have a... I have an a, acute perspective on this, and I know that these things change by the second, especially in the immediacy of of the the breaking news part of these storylines. And I still feel like we're there, so I almost kind of want to tap out on not. I don't have a take to give. I don't have a I don't have an opinion to offer yet, other than I'm just right now. I'm assigned a story, um, and I'm trying to learn, trying to figure out where to place these things. So. I, I will say my, my take on this is that I'm just I'm I'm in progress. I will say that if there is no further incident um, between now and Saturday, then I don't really think much changes uh, in terms of how in terms the people in the stands you know cheering for Missouri the team playing. Um, I because this happened when it did because there were five days between you know yesterday and and Saturday. This might be a strangely normal situation if nothing else happens. Um, and we'll see. And, and honestly, I mean, obviously not everybody on the team agreed with the, the decision to not play, but um, I do think this could be considered maybe a little bit of a rallying point. The, the problem is that Missouri's problem right now isn't, isn't that they're unfocused or, you know, sloppy or you know they're not they needed a rally cry they didn't the defense is still playing super hard and and mostly well the offense is still awful and I don't see why if this was a if, if they were in need of a rallying cry I could see them maybe winning a couple games here down the stretch now if, if, if it really was what most of the team said it was but I you know that doesn't suddenly make you good at offense so although hey 13 points last week uh, I'll say this to get this on a more football track um if uh, I've talked to football teams after deaths, be it deaths of players on the team, deaths in the community, like what Oklahoma State went through two weeks ago. Um, I've talked to football players after coaches were fired, scandals, arrests. I'm trying to think. I've, I've um, Community issues like a storm or a flood. They uh, College football teams are, are infinitely more impressionable with that kind of stuff because they, they, they're, they're usually from the community. They're amateur athletes. They're younger. They're, there's just more of an emotional response to stimuli as, as a college student, let alone a college athlete than there is as a professional. But um, if Missouri's defense were, was somehow able to shut out or shut down, 
Let me pull their schedule up real fast. Anyone remaining? BYU. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of BYU. And I'm thinking of Arkansas. And I'm thinking of Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I, I throw Tennessee in there as well. I'm thinking of Arkansas mainly because of the amount of points they scored recently against Auburn and Ole Miss. Um, what a testament to what Pinkle can do. It's 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 kind of amazing because I deal with so much crap from college football coaches, uh, and I hear so much crap from college football coaches about distractions and focus. And if anything is taken away, if there's any modifier or outside issue that that a coach can point to and blame or use as as an excuse they will publicly privately somewhere in between and here's pinkle with with these series of of distractions to use coaching parlance and if he's able to refocus this defense after suspending his quarterback after sort of watching the season go off the rails a little bit and then how much i guess they miss what a day and a half of football Sort of. I mean, they were they were, they were still informal practicing going on on Sunday in terms of, you know, going to a local track or, you know, whatever. I also assume that the assistants did not change anything, the assistant no. coaches, in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the install. No, I think the game plan was, was right on schedule. So, uh, what else are the coaches going to do? They weren't out there protesting. They're sitting in their offices, so you might as well. Right, keep. right. So because of that, I would say... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say they, they'll, they'll overcome anything, but if they were able to go out and shut down, what's, BYU in the S&P right now is what, top 40? 33rd Offensively. overall. Oh, uh, offensively is... Uh, 32? 32nd, yeah. Yeah, okay. To shut down an offense like that, to shut down an offense like Arkansas, that's, that's sort of, I mean, I think Arkansas is in the top 10 right now as they should be. I've been amazed by what Brandon Allen's been able to do. I'm not saying they're this is going to happen. You know, BYU is, in a lot of ways, going to be a road game this weekend. Um, there's a huge LDS population oh. around Kansas City um, and in the Missouri-Kansas area. It's in an NFL stadium for a reason. Um, it's kind of funny, as I was explaining to my wife why I was headed to Arrowhead, and, and then she asked, well, why isn't that game not in Columbia? And I explained why. And You know, it's it does not shape up to be a home game. They have to go to Fayetteville to close the season out. Uh, if he was able to do that defensively, because offensively they're just going to, I mean, at this point you take what you can get, you capitalize on turnovers, and you, you hope for a little luck. Um, that word that Bill hates. If Pinkle is able to pull off a win here, it, it really in any of those three games, it would be absolutely astounding. And this is a guy that a lot of us had dead to rights being fired after one or two years in the SEC. We're going to get to another SEC subject in a, in a little bit about Texas A&M transition and expectation, but really for Pinkle to be able to do this, evaluating the talent, because this Pinkle is not a February coach, okay, and not by Southeastern Conference standards. He's not. He wasn't really one by Big 12 standards. And to see what they're able to do in developing talent is amazing. And and now to see it, if it were to happen, developing, maintaining team chemistry, dynamic and focus and all that stuff amidst a massive, massive uh, distraction. I'm trying not to say that in a negative way. Uh, it would be It would be astounding. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll see. Uh, you know, still four more days for something to happen. Um, either you know, with the protest itself, with the football team, uh, we we still don't really know everything. I would say, in general, what Pinkle does pretty well, and what kind of uh, drives people crazy around here, uh, especially media, is he sticks to he sticks to his message very well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the, we do what we do, you know, things like that, that he, that he just, that he leans on like mantras kind of, and, and that certainly lends consistency. It, it means he's not necessarily contributing to any sort of distractions. Um, we'll see. I mean, this, this would be a very, this maybe, I think overcoming this and, and putting a good product on the field, or at least the same product on the field, um, would be maybe more impressive than everything that happened a couple of years ago. Because a couple of years ago with Michael Sam, you know, he comes out before the season. Um, there, there were rumors around. It sounded like a lot of media members knew it, but wasn't. But no, nobody was obviously going to say it um, until he came public with it. But, um, you know, they did a really nice job of, of deflection and message control and, and whatnot at that point. Um, and the team obviously didn't say a word about it on social media, which was still absolutely mind-blowing. But um, first of all, that happened before the season, and they were able to kind of, for lack of a better term, come up with a strategy for it or you know, prepare for it. This is in the middle of a season where you've lost, whatever, four games in a row, I think, and, and you're obviously struggling a little bit. It didn't seem like the team was fraying or anything, but still, I mean, you, you have lost a lot of games, and, and so there's going to be a little more frustration. And um, you did have at least one anonymous player reportedly disagreeing and, and saying a lot of people did too, and so we'll see. If they do manage to play a game without losing a certain level of of quality or whatever, then it would be very, very impressive. And, and generally speaking, I mean, I was already thinking, that, as weird as this sounds, Pinkle was doing a hell of a job this year because that defense was still fighting its butt off, uh, despite the fact that it was it became clear a long time ago that this offense just doesn't have it and won't have it. Um, and they are still fighting and scratching and clawing and managing to barely lose those games to yeah. uh, Georgia and Vandy and all that. Now, obviously, Georgia and Vandy, not great. But um, I, I still thought the way they were able to keep this team focused and trying was impressive, and now, obviously, there's a massive new variable involved in that. 25 points in those four losses over four weeks, 13 of which came against yeah. Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, if they were able to win two games out of this three-game stretch and get bowl eligible... Uh, wow. Yeah, if they were able wow. to score a minimum of 13 points in every game this year, they'd be 6-3 and three right now. Uh, they'd have beaten both Georgia and Vanderbilt. So, uh, How about that stat? That's why you listen to this show. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's move on to something that makes you happier, uh, the playoff uh, <laughs> playoff committee selection. Uh, we're going to do uh, – we'll try and keep it topical um, – Tonight, there's another round of this announced. We felt pretty justified, I thought, other than a couple things Bill's going to get to. But um, everything seems to kind of be on track. Of course, there was a blowback against Alabama making the cut, and then they sort of justified themselves. There's a sort of. They justified the hell out of themselves. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if Bama jumps up at all. Um, I don't think they can, but uh, two best teams in the country right now are Clemson and Alabama. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to argue with you. We uh, – we were slightly concerned about how Clemson would be treated by the committee. Looks like they got it right. Um, there won't be a whole lot of change up front other than, than LSU dropping out. But I, uh, I think we're now getting to a phase, at least for the next two weeks, where you're going to see kind of some uniformity and expectations. And, and things are getting clear, basically. Yep. And, and really, you know, barring, barring disaster, Clemson – 
is probably going to end up as the number one seed. And I mean, that's not to say Alabama couldn't jump them with one loss. We've seen it happen, but um, I don't. See, this is a chance now for Clemson moving forward to become dominant. They've got a they've got a weak schedule. They got a you know weak remainder of their schedule. I think this is a chance for them to get out there, do some statements, and, and go into the playoff undefeated as the number one seed. Yeah, I am in Miami. Yeah, I, I was kind of thrown by the the Bovada odds that came out yesterday um, that had uh, Alabama and Ohio State still tied for the lead. And part of that is these are betting odds, and you know Alabama and Ohio State, you know, will get the bets, and and so it kind of makes sense, but. Um, it was what Alabama and Ohio State at five to two to win the national title. Clemson at nine to two, and everybody else like sixteen to one or worse. I, look at Clemson's schedule. They, you know, that was part of today's new miracle um, that I assume will be out by the time this goes live. Uh, you know that Alabama, using my numbers, has like a thirty-five percent chance of finish of winning out, and they have to win out because obviously they already have the loss, and they're probably crazy things happen, but they're probably not getting in with two losses. Uh, Notre Dame has like a 39% chance, I think, of, of winning out. And they, they also have to win out. Ohio State has like a 15% chance because they have to be, win at Michigan and then beat Iowa or whoever in the, in the Big Ten game, almost certainly Iowa. Um, and, you know, Alabama still has to play at Mississippi State, who, by the way, uh, kind of disappeared early in the year, had a couple bad games, has been rock solid the last month at least. Um, so they have to be, they have to do that. They have to avoid any sort of weird crap with Auburn and then they have to beat Florida. They'll probably do that, but they're still, um, they're still uh, pretty decent odds that they'll lose right now. Clemson's odds of winning out, including a a title game against North Carolina. It's like 76%. Um, like they, you're never in the clear. There's always a chance of some absurd upset. And actually, if you look at my numbers, we're kind of, we're lacking, um, in, in those absurd upsets, teams that are have like a seventy percent or better chance of winning a game per my projections are winning almost ninety percent. So we maybe maybe we're loading up to have just a, a hilarious run of upsets in these last few weeks. But I mean, what's left in terms of a big like marquee game that 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 Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan State drops one now, so it's not two undefeated. Um, and then maybe what Iowa jumping on the winner of that game in the uh, in the conference title. Uh, it, it's just really hard to, to look at Alabama losing a Florida team with that with Treon Harris. No, that's not going to happen. Um, Dual threat, sort of. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, sort of. Um, no, I mean, sort, take, sort of the diplomatic word. Um, it, would, it would take a massive upset, but what I'm saying is we haven't had many of those, so we still could. But that's just a pure odds thing. It, it, but from uh, looking at Clemson's odds, 95% against Syracuse, 99% against Wake Forest, 95 against South Carolina. And I think something like mid-80s against North Carolina. Oh, I've got one. Uh, just just so I'll eat – I'll, I'll, I'll um, humble pie it uh, – or eat my crow or whatever. Uh, Oklahoma State. Sorry. Thought you sucked. <laughs> well, they kind of. Yeah. Well, they didn't suck, but they. Right. I, Mike but Gundy. I, I thought they were. Like I thought they were secretly seven and five. <laughs> well, this is. I mean, this is what Mike Gundy does. I mean, um, limp through September, <laughs> uh, get a little better in October, and then look awesome in November. They they waited a little longer last year. They had a, a losing streak, and then they. You know, beat OS. They they started to look good against Baylor, then they beat OU. But yeah, I mean, the the fact that they managed to survive those ba- the the West Virginia and Texas and all that, t- Central Michigan, uh, the fact that they were able to survive those games, 
Um, it just meant that they still had more time to figure things out. And if the last couple of weeks are any indication, they, they might have figured things out, which is scary considering they get Baylor and Oklahoma at home. Yeah, so we have, what, three or four really good games left. We have um, TCU Baylor, we have Bedlam, we have Oklahoma State Baylor, and then what do we have this weekend? TCU uh, and... Bay- Baylor OU. Oh, Baylor OU, yes. Sorry, I was, I was looking for the last com- combination in that group. Uh, I... I, I I don't know of another conference that can boast that many um, important, watchable games. Yeah, I I'd also that. like to point out right now that I secretly have been, um, when I haven't been on the road and I've had the opportunity to watch multiple games on television in front of me, um, I have a setup in my office, when, and I don't get to use it much because I'm usually traveling, but I have two computer monitors, a television, iPads, and the whole deal, so I could go like the Phil Steele photo and go like 10 wide if I want to. I have found myself secretly gravitating towards Big 12 games because of their watchability. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, it was so jarring to go into Alabama LSU last weekend and the pace of that thing, because I started my day with, uh, oh, gosh, I watched I watched a lot of Big 12 last Saturday. I mean, really, that was not my intent, but there's just something about if you're not covering a game or if you're not working on a particular angle, just the pure football, is just it's just fun. It's just fun. Yeah, the trade-off is the games are going to last four hours, but yes, um, the, yes. Now you, you should be able to go and maybe walk the dog or, or get food <laughs> or what have you. Um, but no, there. I think it's. Um, I don't know. I just I kind of want to say that mainly because there have been these sort of hints and whispers and and kind of dumb things that we've parsed from uh, the playoff committee about balance on offense and defense, which is really. I mean, if. I think it was a throwaway comment from Jeff Long last week, but if that comes back, I mean, our brow is going to murder somebody. Um, those games don't have the balance that people would expect traditionally in terms of defense, and they're just, to me, it's it borders on being a better brand of the sport. Well, and I'm not supposed to say that in SEC country. Well, I mean, a lot of people obviously think that way. Well, and a lot of people don't. But um, Yes, and a lot of people on Twitter don't. But, um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, this is where stats can help, too. This season, Big 12 defenses really aren't that good. Texas is, has regressed. TCU's obviously regressed. So this is a worse-than-normal year for uh, Big 12 defenses. But OSU, OU, Baylor, TCU, Texas, and West Virginia, I think, at least, have all had good to very good defenses within the last, what, three years, probably. And um, so it's, it's not – part. It, it, it's not just that, you know, a lot of the points and, and yards come from the fact that they move so damn fast that they have, you know, in a given Georgia Tech game, Tech will have 10 possessions, and in a given Baylor game, they'll have 19. Right. Um, that's, that produces more yards and points. And so a lot of when people say, uh, you know, whatever they will say about Big 12 defenses sucking, I thought the, the uh, OSU, uh, what Glenn Spencer, the defensive coordinator, did a good job of pushing back, saying, "Look at look at points per possession. If you're gonna if you're gonna judge us, notice that we you know who was it Baylor? Um, was, I saw a comparison like LSU averaged more points per possession last week than like somebody like TCU or somebody did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that they had more so many more possessions. So there is that. There is an element of defenses being worse than normal this year, but." Uh, a lot of it is just that they are packing in more plays, more highlights, more yards, more opportunities for big plays in a given game than anybody else is. And, and you know, 
I like having the option. I love being able to. There, there. The, each league is so branded at this point; it's hilarious. When it, you know, in terms of SEC ball, Big Ten ball, and then you know, Big Twelve and Pac Twelve. Um, I guess the ACC is a little bit of a mutt, more SEC than anything else. Better defenses than the SEC this year, but yeah, minus, minus Stanford, the Pac Twelve, I think, right, would, would be a, a, a different version of the Big Twelve. But I just love that contrast. I love that that exists, and um, and I love that we are in a in kind of a flex point too, where there defenses that we you could see this coming if you wanted to. Defenses are getting smaller and faster to account for the spread that has become. Um, what is what did Manny Diaz say in the in that coaching piece I wrote? That you know, sixty five percent or ninety percent of college offenses run sixty five percent of the same plays or something of that nature. Um, and, you know, th- that is spread now. The the quote unquote college offense is very spreadish, and I love that now you're seeing a, a pushback in the other direction of of the Stanford's and whatnot. Um, being able to bulk up and, and put out 38 linemen. And, and uh, it, I love that contrast and I've rambled now, so I'll stop. Well, no, that contrast, we, we can leave the playoff stuff at this. That contrast is really what I'm hoping for. I don't, I don't have a dog in the hunt other than a great story is uh, it's become a dumb sports writer cliche. I should stop using, but I am hoping to go to the orange bowl for the playoff and see, Clemson or Baylor against, you know, Alabama or Stanford. Really what I want to see is, and it's going to be Baylor at this point, if I think if it's anybody, is I, I want to see that Baylor offense applied against Alabama. Yeah. I just want that. I've, I've wanted that. I've not, wanted that. Not, because, so not because I want one side to win or I want one, one thing to be proven or disproven. I just want to see it. It's it one game. No matter what would happen, even if it was the title game, would not necessarily solve or 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 end any argument. Okay, but I just want to see, I want to see you know offenses and defenses that are predicated on X amount of possessions uh, have to adjust dramatically on both sides. Yeah, you can you look at it like a playoff of what would be the most interesting from a contrast standpoint, like Clemson, Alabama, Baylor, Stanford. So you have well, so you have like Baylor, Alabama, and Clemson, Stanford, or something. Maybe Ohio State, Stanford, but probably Clemson might be a better contrast. That'd be awesome. I mean, I'd, I'd be I'd be super cool with a Clemson, Ohio State rematch and an Alabama, Baylor. I'd be uh, Baylor, Stanford would be awesome. Um, and then maybe Clemson, Alabama. I don't know. You, you know, you do get two cracks out of it in terms of that dynamic matchup with the with the semis and the finals. So um, I. It, I, it, it doesn't make for good podcasting, I guess, but I'm not like, I don't have a take. I don't have a, I'm not trying to definitively prove one thing or the other. In fact, I, I'm just really happy that people are doing different things. We are shifting away now in tiny increments from everyone adopting the spread option and everyone adopting the zone read, which I think is where we were maybe 2013 ish. Um, and maybe Harbaugh back at Michigan health set. I don't know. Uh, defensive philosophies have changed, you know, three man fronts and, and adjusting the, you know, you're seeing more bear, you're seeing more five, two, you're seeing stuff that addresses the issues that, that plague these defenses for so long. Um, one big thing we've yet to see is the athleticism in the big 12 being recruited to the defensive side of the football. I think the culture there has still put the athletes on offense and it's not so much of where the defensive players gone, or no one plays defense. It's that the your linebackers are at a different position now, 
your corners and DBs and safeties are at a different position now in high school and middle school, you know, all the way down from when they're six, seven years old. So I think that's changed. I think running backs have, you know, we talk, running backs are suddenly in vogue again, but not necessarily because of Derrick Henry and Leonard Fournette, but, you know, just the ability to, to for those the defenses like Michigan and, you know, what McCaffrey's doing at Stanford, I think it's it's all very cyclical. And the most interesting times in football are when you're cycling, when you're in progress of transition, because you're seeing things happen on a week-to-week basis that are changing people's opinions. It's getting people to be more creative. And the, the game itself has been more fluid and dynamic in its change and its evolution in the last 15 years than I think it was in 50. So well, that's and, some too. And this is the first... You know, offensive life cycle of the internet era, uh, where we saw something emerge and develop and thrive, and then we see the uh, adaptions that go along with it, adaptations that go along with it. Um, You know, that's been this. This happens a lot. I mean, obviously, the wishbone was kind of the same way, and you know, Texas thriving and Bear Bryant adopting it, and uh, it. You know, defense is getting smaller and faster, and then in the eighties, you go pro style because. Uh, you can overpower defenses so that, you know, that, that just that back and forth so much fun. It's been a, a, such a part of college football, but yeah, we, now we have the internet and uh, we get to watch it live and, and really speak at least semi-intelligently about it. It's been pretty cool. And, that, and by the way, this does also mean that there is a ton of awful offense in college football right now. It feels, you know, maybe it's just because certain teams are, are bad. It feels worse than normal. Like when you've got, you know, two years ago, Auburn and Missouri in the SEC title game, and I'm writing about, you know, we saw the, the future of football with the way Auburn used motion and generated numbers advantages so easily and all these things. Two years later, they can barely move the ball. Missouri's in, like, the bottom ten of even opponent-adjusted offensive numbers. So maybe it's that. Um, and Oregon briefly struggling and whatnot. Is but, there any, as I look at the bottom of the S&P in offense, I see, and you could disagree, I don't know, but uh, I see a failure of personnel and failure of recruiting more so than I see failure of philosophy. And it's funny, too, because that you might be right, but, um, I mean, leaving Missouri out of it, but Auburn and, and you know, Texas A&M's flailing right now offensively, which is a segue yes. into our next topic. Oh, but, yeah. Um, they, they, <laughs> they recruit top ten classes. Uh, and they have all the four- and five-star kids that you could want, or it seems like they do anyway, and right. yet they still have these issues. Uh, and, and so that's really interesting, too. Where they, I, I do have like something I want to explore in the offseason regarding recruiting rankings and how you know when you sign a bunch of four- and five-star guys, you're probably going to deal with more transfers because those guys are more likely to want to play pretty quickly. Uh, you're going to be playing a ton of true freshmen, uh, a lot of freshmen and sophomores, and it seems like so many of these um, – uh, so many, a lot of teams right now who have been, you know, in the top ten or fifteen in recruiting over the last couple of years have crazy young teams. And in A and M's case, they did, they did in, uh, they did last year. They do this year. It kind of feels like they will next year because they're losing some guys. Uh, what on the offensive line, I believe. Um, and and so it almost feels like when you when you fly close to the sun with these recruiting classes, in some cases when you don't have a Nick Saban running the show, um, mm-hmm. or maybe like a Jimbo even. Uh, you don't control that. You lose a bunch of guys, and, and you're perpetually young. Um, yeah, kind of interesting. I'm going to challenge you for an, a topic maybe for another show because you've sparked my interest here. Uh, looking at the uh, S&P on offense, and I'm starting from the, I'm going 128 up, okay? I'm just seeing like a litany of new offensive coordinator, 
or uh, head coach fired or just me knowing that they don't have the personnel off the top of my head like Vanderbilt. Um, and as you go, or you see maybe second-year guys struggling in recruiting. So like, there's a pretty easy tell on, on, on most of the Power 5 schools that are down here in the dregs. Um, I'm curious how far up you have to go to find a stable situation with coaching and recruiting and still a bad offense. Yeah. So, so yeah, as I go through, actually the one that jumps out at me is, is Kentucky at 101st. Yeah. That's yeah. the first one that jumps out. Everything else I see uh, doesn't really surprise me. Although Northwestern at 107th, I, I mean, you know, other, other than that, you're seeing schools like Kansas and Wake Forest. And, you know, I see like, I see a ton of fire coaches down here, Hawaii, Central Florida, uh, you know, um, man, Todd Barry's had a bad year at ULM. Uh, as I scroll up, I guess, no, I mean, there's Virginia Tech, you know, s- same situation. It's it's interesting. I, I'm surprised to see Marshall at 85th. Um, Lots of turnover for Marshall, though. Yeah, that's right, personnel. See, it's interesting. You can kind of one one sentence explain a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, Mike McIntyre, I don't, I don't really think he still has the talent he needs. He's down here. Colorado's down there. Um, Texas, of course, there's a big one. Um but again, look how many young guys he's playing. Um, oh yeah, really. And then, you, and then among all this, well, you've Chris got, is in the second year. It was I'm already in the 70s, by the way. I'm crawling all the way up. Like Auburn's up to 51st. That, that, that snuck up on me. I didn't realize. I knew they were doing better, but they're they're a lot higher than they were. Um, and then above all this, you know, when personnel matters so much and experience might matter, and all this, Baylor loses its offensive coordinator and its its quarterback and everything else. Uh, and is an easy number one in offense yeah, right now. It's fair to, I think it's fair to call them an outlier in this experiment. Um, Georgia Tech at 49th, but then if it's a top 50 offense, am I really that critical? Um, it's, I mean, I think you can almost, you can have a one-line explanation, talent transition uh, for everyone below a certain number on here. I, I'm trying to figure out where in the S&P specifically you find that moment of they don't have any excuses, their offense is just bad, and I can't. Kentucky is actually. Kentucky sneaky. is the one that really sticks out to me more they're than They're kind anything. of sneaky bad this year. I think we, you know, well, they're 96th overall in, in S&P this year. That's not, I mean, I didn't expect them to threaten for the East or anything, but that's much, much worse than we expected. They've had three by, straight by the way. He's Mark Stoops is the name I I hear all the time. Yeah, yeah, he's been linked to what Miami, um, uh, somebody else too. I mean, Wait, it's I, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not. It's the problem with doing so much stuff. Uh, the way he's built that Kentucky program with so many Ohio recruits and his experience being from Ohio, he's a Stoops. You know, uh, he's pegged for every open Big Ten job that isn't like top A level, and then on top of that, he's. People are talking about him going to Virginia Tech. People are talking about him yeah. jumping to uh, to Maryland. Like, yeah, he he really don't reinforce it right now. He doesn't have a reason to be this bad this year. Um, I, I, one year, I mean, they, he had engineered some improvement. Obviously, they collapsed last year, but that was mostly schedule based. Um, they're still a little bit on the young side, but there there was every reason in the world to assume that they would improve this year. And you look at their early results; they did beat they they did beat South Carolina, they beat Missouri, they almost beat Florida, which looks a lot better now than it did then. Um, that first month, it seemed like there was a nice progression, and they were pretty easily going to move up and get a a bowl bid at the very least. 
Um, but look at those percentiles on the stat profile pages that I have. Like they're in the 50, probably averaging in the 50s or 60s through the first six games of the year. Uh, Mississippi State, 15th percentile, 26 point loss. Tennessee, 13th, 31 point loss. Georgia, 10 percentile, 10th percentile, 24 point loss. They allowed 27 points to Georgia. Um, and that's, that's three straight duds. And now you got to go to Vanderbilt who actually has a little confidence. Their, de- their offense is still bad, but their defense is legitimately strong. Um, you're going to beat Charlotte, but now you've got to beat either Vanderbilt or Louisville to make a bowl. Um, that is not, and, and you know, if they do that, if they win two of three and they get to a bowl and they get that happy press in, in bowl. Well, Louisville's season, the worst team in college football. So that's what I, I keep hearing that on this podcast, but yep. Um, uh, no, I, I found the answer, by the way. Okay. Tell me if you agree. It's 79th, South Florida. Okay. That's improvement, though. They were dreadful last year. They, that, that's, that I is think at it's least... a rate of improvement that I would question more than anything else. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, at, he's had X it. amount of recruiting cycles in South Florida, in, in, like literally at South Florida and in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, Willie Taggart, he's, he's changed up a lot of assistant coaches, and I know that he's, he's struggled to sort of brand the identity of what they're doing down there. It's one of the reasons he jumped, and I do mean jumped, at, at co-hosting a satellite camp with Michigan. Yeah. Uh, with his old boss. Um, that's one that, that sticks out to me. No, I'd say, I mean, they've improved a decent amount. If he, if he doesn't survive this year, it's mainly because of last year, I think. They, just, they bottomed out far lower than they had any excuse bottoming out, and they've improved, but they really probably um, – I, I, I can see your point on South Florida. It's still – Let me put it this way. Hey, let me put it in a non-statistical framework and a, and a, uh, a more kind of campfire rumor – They've got three games left. Yeah, that job should be that job should be producing at a, at a higher rate than than what Taggart's done there, regardless of what happened before him. At this point, it should be. They have three games left. At five and four, they have to play Temple and Cincinnati at home, and then they close at UCF. He has to get bowl eligible, or he's gone. Okay. If they drop the last three, now granted, Temple good team, Cincinnati good team, UCF miserable team. So let's say. Let's say they lose the next two, which are hard to argue against because we know how, how bad the program has been, okay? And you, and you're, you just got done telling me there's, there's improvement across. Well, and there is. I, you know, I've kind of kept one eye on them this year. They, by the way, they played Memphis pretty well. Yeah. Uh, if they don't beat Central Florida in Orlando on Thanksgiving, oh, man, that's a, that's a national game, by the way. That, yeah, he's no, done, that I he's, can see. If you don't win that game um... – because then you're five and seven, and you know what? What better chance were you going to have than that one? Yeah, I think they it's have a big a... deal in that one little I four corridor. It's a really big deal. Not so much about the game, but with local high school coaches. This is something we should have Bud Elliott on to talk about. Except we don't like Bud. Oh, and then our meme on the show that we don't invite right, Bud. That's right. Sorry, Bud. Next, we did. We ran out of time. Next time. Um. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be that that that'll be a tough game if if they lose the next two. Now, if he pulls one off against Temple or Cincinnati, I think he's fine. Um, yeah, looking at odds, they have a decent chance. They have just under fifty percent chance of beating either Temple or Tennessee, so they got a chance. Uh, and they really um, the defense, as you would probably expect, the defense has picked up the pace a little more than the offense has. Um, but no, I mean you're this is certainly now that you've improved, you kind of have to finish the job a little bit. Not only not only beat UCF, but look good and, and throw a skip. Cincinnati is pretty solid, but they're not amazing. You can beat Cincinnati. 
you can beat Temple, um, uh, you know, at least three times out of ten. So Last um, thing I'm going to say before we move on, all the problems in Miami, 39th right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're in really, that's, they, the, that's the rebuttal to the whole no money, no funding, private school, small fan base, no stadium, is that you have a bad year and you're in a top 40 offense. By the way, I think the, you know, 70, number 76 on that offensive list, uh, S&P, Wisconsin. Yeah, I was going to leave that alone because it's Paul Christ's uh, first year. Yeah. I was going to leave that alone, but a little low. And he's not coming in and reinventing, reinventing any wheel. In fact, no, he was hired know, specifically to have Barry Alvarez's hand up his bottom as a puppet. And Corey Clement getting hurt, you know, he's, he's got 19 carries this year. Obviously, that affects things. Obviously, still having... You know Joel. You know Joel Stave, and and uh, not a great backup to supplant him. It hurts too. Um, but still, that's that's as as incredible to me as it, as it is that Missouri's floor was this low offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, we, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that you ignored that. But yeah, 125th if you're listening, um, right between like uh, you know below Tulane and ULM. Um, as as surprised as I am that Missouri's floor was that low, I'm almost as surprised that that Wisconsin's floor was is in the 70s. Apparently, and, the reason you know, I did not bring it up was best available quarterback, off field issues combined with personnel. Um, but it, but but a consistent environment in terms of coaching and recruiting. So maybe I sh- maybe I should have mentioned it. Yeah, I mean they. It, I mean I can go into all the details as to why it's bad, but it's still so much worse than I would have guessed. Oh hell! What about BC? I was, I, I was willing to overlook that because they had extreme turnover on the on offense two straight years, and then they've had a ton of quarterback and running back injuries this year. That's another one where you still wouldn't expect them to fall that far. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's relative to expectation, as is everything. Um, okay, we've done a lot today, Bill, and we were, uh, did we we didn't really even get to everything. Um, well, and, and we still we, you know we've got another ten or fifteen minutes here if we want. So. Um, all right, we're gonna roll. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it through Spavital here. Go right ahead. Uh, Texas A and M. Bud and I just did a little piece for SB Nation, trying to figure out what the damage is from a rational point of view. And the problem with the SEC West is that doesn't exist anymore. And the reason why is is uh, something that we noticed way back in the off season when all these coaches started getting even bigger deals when you sign someone like Brett Bielema to a major deal at Arkansas, having, you know, not really been proven in the conference when you, when Hugh Freeze leverages interest from Florida to a mega deal by Ole Miss standards. What you have are seven coaches that are paid better than any other seven coaches you can line up from a single conference. They're all in the same division. Um, I'm not a math guy, Bill, but that does mean that one of them is going to finish in last place every year, and at least two of them are going to be defined as having disappointing seasons by their very, very rabid, deep-pocketed fan base. Yep. Uh, So here we are with Texas A&M and Auburn, who are probably going to bring up the rear in the SEC. Uh, Everyone had Mississippi State pegged for last place. Um, They have a chance to finish stronger than anyone thought this year. They're not really in the conference race or the national title race, but they could end up um, they could end up pushing them, themselves back into a New Year's Day partner bowl. And they were supposed to be the last place team this year. Auburn is one one topic. We've hit on that before. They were they were my pick to win the SEC. They were a lot of people's pick to win the SEC. Then you have A and M. 
no one has recruited at quite like A&M has in the last couple of years by purely by the, the star metrics. Yeah. And yet here we are with an underperforming offense, to say the least, a quarterback controversy, an offensive coordinator that's just announced that he's, or I guess rumored to be stepping down at the end of the season. Uh, first year under a new defensive coordinator, who's a good hire. John Chavis, good hire. Um, and I love the philosophy of Texas A&M not really being, being able to figure out LSU on defense. And so they just like went and hired the guy who confused them. Um, but I, it's it, it things aren't bad in college station. There's, we're talking about a six and three football team, but we're also talking about a team that only scored 10 points at home against Auburn. They've lost three out of the last four. Um, and so naturally you try and go back and figure out, is this a disproportionate expectation relative to what Manziel did and what their debut season did, or is this just what you should expect? And there's no right answer here. Um, it's just that maybe it's A&M's turn to be down because I will say this. If you have a lot of quarterback confusion, which they do, if you have a new defensive coordinator who's still trying to fit personnel, which which you do, chances are in a division like the SEC West, you're not going to finish second or third or even fourth. So in that way, it, it's not a surprise, and it's not the end of the world, but yet it still feels like it, there's a big problem in College Station. So uh, since we've done a lot of talking about c- computer rankings on – audio today which is always gripping last year last year's f plus uh f plus so the overall mine and primos um in the sec west alabama was two uh ole miss was five which obviously frustrated a lot of people and then i have to remind them that how amazing ole miss was for the first two months uh auburn was seven arkansas appreciates that yeah auburn was seven arkansas was nine so that's four out of the top nine mississippi state was 13 that's five of the top 13 um, and that leaves LSU, which fell all the way to 22nd, uh, and then A&M at 42nd. So that was kind of an illustration of like the difference between quality and somebody has to lose. So you had six out of seven teams uh, in your, in your division in the top 22. Um, there were some bad records in there. LSU was eight and five, obviously. Auburn was eight and five. Arkansas was seven and six, but they were all good. Um, so that's the blueprint. This year, you still got Alabama at second. Obviously, Auburn's fallen off the map. Uh, LSU's seventh. Uh, you've got Mississippi State 15th. Ole Miss uh, lost half its defense and has turned into a completely different team down to 19th. Uh, so you've still got a lot of examples there. Uh, Arkansas's up to 37th. They kind of tumbled for a while, and now they're on their way back up. But then you've, you've got A&M at 41st, one spot better than last year. And so, yes, this is a case where somebody has to lose and they're three and three in conference, which could be worse, by the way. Uh, could be Auburn. Um, but this, this was supposed to be the year where they got the defense figured out and actually had a little bit of continuity overall after so much turnover following 2013. And they've improved by like a half percentage point. So that, you know, no matter what the record is, that is probably not what they should expect. But they could end up eight and four. Sure. This is this is the the enigma of the SEC West. Are you, are you going to write off eight and four as a bad year? Did you think you were going to contend? I, I'm not trying to say that A and M should or shouldn't have. I, I've well, I've that or contended, but. 
there right. has to you, you you are in this situation. A and M is a more unique case, Bill, because you came into this situation in the lat like this wasn't grandfathered in. This isn't something that you've watched build over decades. The way schools like Arkansas and Ole Miss and Mississippi State have seen this almost insurmountable level of competition build around them. This isn't like that. You walked into this, and they put you in the SEC West. So I don't want to be snide, but you did, did you think it was going to be something different than this? And did you I, think that February alone was going to win you a title? Yeah, I this, mean, I, this I thought... This is sort of what I expected, I guess, and that's not to, to, to speak ill of anything A&M's done. You built a really nice stadium. That's awesome. Everybody else has one. Um, 40s, they should expect more than 40s. And, and they still have time to, you know, rebound and, and improve back into the 30s or 20s or whatever. So this isn't the end of a story this year. Um, but, yeah, for a, a lot of it for me comes down to how you're playing and not necessarily your record. And A&M's not playing good enough. Um, they should be expecting more. I, and I definitely – it was funny when I wrote the A&M preview this offseason, I mentioned about how brutal their schedule was, and a ton of people scoffed at me. And, and I mean, people with – you know, college football acumen, you know, Mandel and, and Barrett Sally and whatnot, the, you know, people who it, it didn't strike me till that moment, how much people were expecting of A&M this year, because the way I looked at it was they had a lot of tough games against, you know, well, Arizona state ended up being not nearly what we expected of Arizona state, but I mean, they had, you know, games against Arkansas and Mississippi state and Alabama and Ole Miss right in a row. Um, and then Auburn, who we, we all assumed was better than they were. Uh, there are a lot of really good teams on their schedule, and that's all I was focused on because I was thinking of them as like a top 30 team looking to go 8-4 and or 9-3, and um, and people were scoffing, well, they don't even have to leave the state of Texas until blah, blah, blah. And it started to slowly hit me that, wait, people think of A&M as like a national title contender. And when you do and you see the, the home road split there, then suddenly that looks like a pretty easy schedule. And I, it hit me then that we really do have different views on what a and capable of this year. Uh, but they still haven't. That said, they haven't met my expectations either. Okay. So. All right. That's fair. And and again, we're talking. I'm talking more about what is A&M capable of yeah. this year, and not can A&M contend for a national title? Absolutely. Even in the West, absolutely. I, I'm not one of those people that the dumb SEC redneck who thought, "Boy, y'all coming in here and you're never gonna get better than seven and five. Right. I'm not saying that. Um, but did I look at this team at any point in the offseason and think that they were going to be in the playoff? No, I, I didn't. And but that's okay. You have a really hellish schedule, and this is life from, from here on out. My, I guess my, my issue mainly is uh, I think there's, uh, there, there's some naive coming off of the Aggie fan base, I think, but also uh, relative to the competition. If, uh, let me just posit this. So let's say Arkansas doesn't pull off that amazing lateral and they lose at Ole Miss. Okay? They're 4-5, and five, and they're 2-3 and three in the SEC. And they're stuck with LSU, Mississippi State, and Missouri, where they could lose two out of three at least down the stretch. Possibly miss a bowl. They're not going to miss a bowl now, but I think possibly they miss a bowl if they lose to Ole Miss. Are, are we not just sort of plugging and playing and going after Bielema instead of someone then? Because then, you know, Bielema's making a ton of money. Um, not entirely a different situation. I think he inherited less. But the expectation at Arkansas, for some reason, I ended up doing more Arkansas media than I than anywhere else this offseason was I would get on shows and people's first questions are like, tell me why this team shouldn't go 10 and 2. 
this is the reality of the lack of reality. This is what happens, you know, and I hate to tell you guys this because everyone and I'll take a stand for Starkville. Everyone wrote off Mississippi State yeah. and no, no one is giving them credit now. But they wrote off Mississippi State in the most insulting way possible this offseason, which was that, well, yeah, they're going to finish last place and they should they should be fine with that. <laughs> the whole point of this is that nobody's fine with it. OK, there's a reason why. People in the media act like the sun rises and sets in this one portion of this one conference is that because the expectation level, the interest and the demand and the money is so insane. Okay, so just because Mississippi State doesn't have the history of Arkansas or or Auburn or A&M or even Ole Miss, I'll probably get catch out for that. But (laughs) the demand is still there. They still sell out Davis Wade. They still have a really good football coach who was a really good coordinator for Urban Meyer who's done a hell of a job this year with a great quarterback and nothing else. So it's if, if State was down at seven right now and not – what is it? Is Auburn right now? Auburn, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if people would be – State or maybe Ole Miss, I think, and, and maybe Arkansas. Um. I just think they get a lot of attention right now because Bielma is such a character. But uh, and I no, see, I, I think that has a ripple effect in the way the national media. Oh looks. yeah, I mean uh, the, Spur- the Spurrier effect, kind of. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is. It, it, it seems like it's well, if it's one of the Mississippis, it's okay that they're in last place. <laughs> Look, there's no difference in, in insane demand in Starkville than there is in College Station. There's just more oil money in Texas, and that's really it. And there's also more people. So. At any point in time, you're going to have two teams with bad years out of a seven-team division that are going to be losing their mind. And I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, you have to look at it from a long view. You have to understand that at any point in time, even if you're, even if you're Alabama, because Nick Saban will not be there forever, at some point you're going to be 7-5. and five. It's going to happen. You think it's impossible right now? It's not. Same for LSU. People have been waiting on LSU to go 7-5 and five for 10 years. <laughs> This is the reality. So to bring it back home, and then we'll get the hell out of this, this strange topic. If you're A&M, I've got Bill in my ear telling me statistically they're, they're technically a disappointment at the moment, okay? And so is Arkansas, by the way. Just Yeah. Right there. But they're, but they're fun. So we kind of, oh, no big deal. Um, by the way, A&M beat Arkansas. Um, you have A&M, this huge disappointment. Um, they're, they're still a really good football team that's recruiting really well. That has a, They have a really good coach. They have a out-of-perspective level of expectation. That's fine because everyone else does. But maybe, maybe just calm down. I know you lost three out of four. Maybe just calm down. Maybe finish this season strong, which I think they're going to do. They have a winnable game this weekend because it's an FCS team, and that's going to put them at seven wins. And then you go to Vanderbilt, you try and solve your problems, you get out of there with a the win, because as bad as you are on offense right now, so are they, okay? And if you end up 8-4, and four, focus on next year. The core is not – there's no corruption inside the core. You probably need to fix this whole quarterback situation. Yeah. And I guess you're going to go out and find a new OC. But, again, that's just life in the SEC. I think I'd rather be in A&M situation right now than Auburn's because A&M can say, you know what, Spavital. It was Spavital. He's get, a, get him out of here. We're going to be awesome next year. We're going to win this 10-month campaign of, of PR. 
because we got rid of our OC. Because last year they, they, they won the 10-month campaign of PR by getting rid of their DC, just yeah. like Auburn did. What the hell do you do if you're Auburn right now? How do you, Bill, if you're running Auburn, explain away the problems and get people invested and excited at 5-4 and four right now with Georgia and Alabama left? How do you spend 10 – there's nobody to fire. Balzon can't fire Rhett Lashley and say, well, we're going to fix the offense now. You don't go pick a quarterback up in free agency, and you can't fire Muschamp after one year because they actually are getting a little better. So what is, So th- this is my question to you, Bill. What do you do if you're Auburn? How do you win that PR war? Um, I'm not very good at PR, um, but <laughs> uh, the, the, po- the point I would make from a numbers perspective, at least, as, a, as an outsider, is that their last three offensive performances may – well, yeah, maybe their last three offensive performances have been their best three, and their defense has absolutely improved. So if you, you know, settle on a quarterback, and maybe they are in the process of doing that with Sean White, um, if, you, if your running backs actually start to look like the four- and five-star people they were supposed to be, Javon Robinson especially, uh, suddenly, you know, it, it, it isn't out of the realm of possibility that the team we've seen over the last couple of weeks with an extra year of maturity, that they lose, you know, if we include Duke Williams, they lose three of their top four receivers. They've gotten some practice playing without Williams, though. Um, then they still lose their top two, I guess. Uh, there are still questions, but you could certainly maybe make a case that uh, that they have already begun to turn to right the ship and turn things around, and we just won't necessarily see it till next year. That's hard to. That's not a great sell from a number standpoint. I can. Yeah, I, can, that, uh, I that ain't legitimately working, say that. that. That ain't working with the rubber chicken circuit yeah. in Mobile and in Huntsville. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, probably... I, you didn't say anything wrong. I'm just telling you that they don't have a big shiny toy to put in front of people to distract them from the fact that dad walked out at Christmas. But if they beat Georgia, that will help immensely. Uh, it will. That's going to be a 50 50 game right there. On the other side of this, real fast, Ole Miss is seven and three. They have two oh, games left, yeah. okay? Against rivals, against their two rivals, okay? In conference play, in division play, all right? So you can go and finish nine and three off the heels of beating your two hated rivals, or you can finish seven and five. Yeah. Do you know why this is different, Bill, than it, than it is for a and Do you know why seven and five would be a massive problem for because Ole Miss? Because this was supposed to be the peak before everybody leaves. Exactly. Because here's the difference. The reason why I applaud Mississippi State and the reason why I say calm down Texas A&M is Mississippi State coached up a lack of talent, okay? This was not supposed to be the year, and again, it's just, a, a, to me, it's another laud for Dan Mullen, the consistency that he can build at a place that's hard to recruit to, okay? Texas A&M, you can reload, all right? Money's there, talent's there. You, you, you have the ability to screw up and figure it out. Ole Miss, they're going to have to start from scratch, okay? Every impact player on their team, Treadwell, Connor, Kandichi, all those guys are gone. Tunsil, gone, gone. And so you got seven and five out of them. So I feel I bad. Not everyone who finishes seven and five should be happy in the West. It depends on your circumstance. I actually feel bad. I don't know who I feel bad for. I kind of feel bad for myself because they have maybe the most fun defense in the country to watch when all the pieces are there. And they were all in place for about a game this year, two right. games maybe. And then, you know, when they were losing to Memphis, they had, you know, five of their projected starting 11 defenders uh, on the bench. And that's going to that's gonna kill you about just about anybody, especially against a, a team that has a good uh, 
offense like Mem- like Memphis does. Um, so I mean, I think this doesn't matter because they are starting from scratch next year. I, I do think you know they I, are by I, the way the seventh place team next year. Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. no situation unless Dan Mullen were to leave Mississippi State for another job. There is no way I, that Ole Miss can, to me, finishes higher than sixth in the SEC West next year, regardless of what happens. Also, they open against Florida State. Oh, that's right. Uh, give me a few months to pump sh- sunshine, though. That's what I like doing with those previews. So give me a few months <laughs> and I can, I can convince you uh, why Ole Miss might be decent next year. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad. And maybe it's you know just because I can kind of – when you're an Ole Miss, like I, I consider historically Ole Miss and Missouri are basically in the same tier. Um, okay. And, you know, I, I can, you know, I, so I look at these teams that are kind of in my quote unquote, my tier. And I, uh, you, you see the cycles, you see when they're building towards something and then you see when they're starting over. And I, I kind of, I, I picture myself as a fan of that program, not specifically Ole Miss, but a team with Ole Miss's history. And then that recruiting class and whatnot. And I, I start to feel bad because this was supposed to be the year where things, especially as the moment you saw Chad Kelly, looking good in September. That mm-hmm. was like the piece that we weren't sure about. The, the offensive line too, but um, especially with quarterback being the quarterback position. As soon as we saw that Kelly looked pretty good, th- suddenly the sky was the limit. After they beat Alabama, I basically said, A, Ole Miss was lucky to beat Alabama because of all those bounces, and B, they have played like maybe one of the two or three best teams in the country through three weeks. Now they got to keep it up. And from like that moment on, the defense started crumbling to the ground uh, and they couldn't keep it up. But yeah, I, I just feel I, I feel empathy towards programs that build towards something, and then the year it's they're building towards it, half the defense falls apart, and they never actually get to see what they expected to see. All right, jumping out of that SEC West mess, um, I'm going to be kind of cocky about this weekend slate. Uh-oh. Okay, there are a lot of games that I feel like are going to be propped up by people like us <laughs> as potential. Hey, I never know, you know. Got to play the game. Okay. Like Florida, South Carolina, like Ohio State at Illinois, like, oh, let's see here. There's a bunch. Um, Like Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Okay. None of these things are going to happen. All right. This this could be a really chalky weekend in November. I'll put it that way. There There are good games to watch, no doubt. But there are also a lot of games I feel like are going to be trying to try and push them as upset alert. No way. Wake Forest is not going to beat Notre Dame. <laughs> Clemson is not going to beat Syracuse. Or I'm sorry, Syracuse is not going to beat Clemson. I'm sorry. I was about to say, uh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you saying there? Uh, you know, uh, Maryland is not going to beat Michigan State. So there's a lot of that this week. Um, some weird, interesting stuff on here, though. I will be watching Texas, West Virginia. Um, I will be watching Memphis at Houston. Oh, uh, yeah. it, uh, as far as playoff rankings go, I think the most interesting thing to watch this week is not anything that happens up top. It's that Houston is not going to get probably any higher than they're at 25 right now or something like that going into going into tonight. They barely beat Cincinnati, who's a good team. It doesn't matter. I guarantee the committee's not going to reward them for that. Memphis has lost now. Houston still has to play Memphis. They still have to play Temple, and they still have to play Navy. How far can they climb? Okay, so so one loss and you're out. Yeah, I'll be yeah. interested to see how far Memphis drops, and I'll be interested to see how far Houston can possibly climb. And by the way, um, the uh, the odds I and I mentioned this in numerical that I, I I wrote the numerical this morning and realized wait is there a hook is there like one topic in this thing that we can kind of sell like you know Dalvin Cook versus Leonard Fournette a couple of weeks ago uh, we led with Navy which is kind of sad I guess but um, 
also awesome. Uh, Navy's really, really, really good. At Houston right now with the S&P rankings, they basically have a 50-50 shot of beating Houston, nice. which, which means you would finish 11-1, and or tw- I guess 12-1 and if they went out, and with only a loss to Notre Dame where you were almost tied at halftime. Uh, <laughs> that's obviously not playoff-worthy, but they actually, in theory, it, it'll be interesting to see how far they rise, too, because obviously they weren't ranked last week. Yep. Uh, they probably won't be ranked this week, although I could kind of make a case that they should. Um, but, yeah, you've got that undercurrent, too. Houston needs to win out to see how far they can go, but they also have to beat a really good Navy team, and then if they don't, how far does Navy go? Because mm-hmm. you could be looking at Navy in the Fiesta Bowl. That's awesome. I'm rooting for Houston. I really like that story. I like – I just they're really fun, and I like Tom Herman a lot. Yeah, but Navy in the Fiesta Bowl is pretty cool. That'd be amazing. I, I, I can't think of something in terms of the mid-majors. That, that would be just, just see the a service academy that high I think would be awesome. And maybe I'm just being a nerd and nostalgia or whatever. But, you know, also I would say one of the best one of the best people in, as a head coach. Oh, man. Uh, in Ken Niamatanolo, just absolutely great guy. He agreed um, to talk to me on vacation over the summer for that for that game plan piece. Well, that just means you're a dick for doing that. Hey, I know. I, I was totally prepared. The SAD worked it out. I, I was, oh, really? So he was out, like, running errands, doing, going to the grocery store and, and talking about, you know, what do I do on Tuesdays? Uh, Oklahoma-Baylor, probably the game of the week in yeah. terms of impact and all that, but also I think it's, it's going to be really fun to watch. Um uh, I'll also be keeping an eye Mississippi State Alabama. I, I just got done lauding Dan Mullen in Mississippi State, but I don't think they're <laughs> going to win that game. They can't run uh, the ball, although it's almost good that they can't run the ball because they won't try. Uh, yeah, maybe they well, maybe they come out and try and do something dramatically different, which would be super interesting to watch. Um, maybe NC State Florida State sneaky good game. Um, I, I kind of like what I've seen from the Wolfpack this year. And Oregon Stanford uh, Oregon. Yes, that their was defense is still terrible, and that's why they'll probably lose. But their offense is suddenly kind of Oregonish again. Yep, it's ne- that's never not a game to watch. Yeah, to well, true. Yeah, so again, to to bring it all home, maybe we'll leave it on this. There's something great about watching dynamic. You know, watching watching stuff that's just completely opposed. Styles make fights. Absolutely, um, and the, and hey, I would still pay to see Stanford and Alabama, um, but. <laughs> But there's just something that's always been so great about Oregon and Stanford. I've done that game in Palo Alto. In fact, the last, the last time I was in Palo Alto, I was there. Super bizarre, <laughs> the whole thing. Like, it just, they don't fit in any way. They don't even fit as rivals. Um, they don't fit, like, there's, I mean, I know that they're relatively close to each other in, like, the broader scheme of the Pac-12, but just the people, like, the Oregon fans that travel are very much like SEC fans that travel. It's more, let's just say, salt of the earth. And then you have Palo Alto, and it's just a it's just a wonderfully weird, disjointed thing. But it makes so much sense when you put it on the field. So it'd be a good game to watch. I think that's going to be it for us this week. Um, maybe maybe no uh, maybe no world ending racial strife next week. Maybe maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, again, we've got four that's days not, to game week. So. Kansas City, so we'll see. But, yeah, and by the way, last thought on this coming week, Washington State-UCLA in the Pac-12 after dark slot. Ooh, that's what I'll be watching in the hotel. I'm okay. pretty sure UCLA smokes them, but this is – uh, I'll be watching in the hotel. Hell, yeah. Won't have to pay $29 for that. Um, uh, all right, we picked it clean. Uh, again, we apologize for uh, – or we didn't apologize at all, but I'll apologize now for not asking for questions. But let me put it this way. We appreciate you guys listening. 
And we have 10 months for you guys to ask us questions. And that's coming up pretty soon. Save up your Mac questions for when I'm previewing the Mac in like late February. We will be hustling you, uh, you, the loyal listener, come Please, April. Please, give us something things, to talk about. Things are going to get thin fast as they do in this sport. But uh, until then, thanks for listening. Yep.